but if you'd like to read with us first uh, Chronicles chapter number 29 maybe we'll just read a couple verses starting in verse 10 uh, just to save time and hopefully we'll get to cover more wherefore David bless the Lord above all the congregation before all the congregation and David said blessed be thou Lord God of Israel our father forever and ever thine O Lord is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heaven and in the earth is thine thine is the kingdom O Lord and thou art exalted as head above all both riches and honor come of thee and thou reignest over all and in thy hand is power and might and in thine hand it is to make great and to give strength unto all. Now therefore, our God, we thank thee and praise thy glorious name. That's all we'll read uh, for now. We look further into it, hopefully. But to get the idea of where we are, we've reached the end of David's reign. And at the end of this chapter, David's going to die and Solomon is going to take over as the king. We know how that David desired to build the Lord a house, and the Lord told him that he was not going to be able to build, but his son would build a house. And so here David, in the first part of this chapter, he's showing all that he's give to the work of the house of the Lord. You know, Solomon's going to need gold. He's going to need silver, precious stones, all of these materials that's going to be used to build the temple of the Lord. And David has gathered up a great store. You know, David was a mighty man. He defeated many kingdoms. The Bible says in the Psalms that when God had delivered him from all of his enemies, and certainly God brought great kingdoms and armies subject unto David. David crushed all of these great armies and through the spoil, taken of their gold and taken of their silver. David had laid this in store for the purpose of building God a house. And, and you can read what he had in store. And he says, above all that, I've took what was in my own treasury, what belonged to me, and I've give to the building of the house of the Lord. And so David does all these things and he consecrates this. And in verse 5, down towards the latter end, David turns to the people of Israel and said, Who then is willing to consecrate his service this day unto the Lord? So David says, Now, I've give, I've give a great store to the building of the house of the Lord. Now, what would you be willing? That consecrate his service. That's two Hebrew words. And they mean the, the open hand that's full. So what he's saying is, Who's willing to open a full hand to the Lord? Who's willing to, to open a hand and give to the service of the Lord? Now, think about how backwards that is from the way man thinks today. We come to God with, a, with an open, empty hand, and we're asking God to give and give and give, and there's never anything to offer God. Well, David here says now, who's willing to give and, and not give begrudgingly, not give uh, in reservation or hating to do so, but who would be willing to give to the service of the Lord? And, and we see in 6, 7, 8, 9, the people offer a great store. 
And when you come to verse 10 now, they have gathered together in abundance gold, silver, precious stones, marble, uh, garments and cloths and all manner of supply the people have willingly given from their heart that Solomon could take these and that a house of the Lord could be built. And now you think about now as David begins verse 10 where we started reading, he begins to praise the Lord for this. But you know, first we've got to get God to where he ought to be in our minds. You know, could, could David not have said, because I've slaughtered all these nations and because I've won all these victories and because I, I've brought all these nations subject unto me and collected taxes and gold of them, I'm able to give this unto thee. But that's not David's heart. David's got a, a sober mind. Uh, David would have covered it in Sunday school just a few weeks ago, I guess, in Romans 3, to think soberly. David's got a sober mind. And so David begins here, Wherefore David blessed the Lord. He bowed the knee to the Lord. Now this is the king. This is the man in all authority, and not a young man either. This is an old man, David, that's near unto death. And before the whole congregation, he's going to get on his knees and say, Blessed be thou, Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. So, Lord God, it's Jehovah Elohim. Jehovah means the self-existent one. He doesn't exist by anybody's help, by anybody's strength, by anybody's assistance. You know, we were created, and we live and move and have our being in God. And when God would withdraw the Spirit from us, we, we no longer exist. We can only exist as God would give us life and allow us to live. But you know, there's, there's nobody that gives life to God. There's nobody that created God. He is self-existent. He is of His own. And David said, Blessed be thou, glory be to the name of God. <clears throat> Thine, O Lord, is greatness. That word means mighty acts. And the power, force, valor, or victory and the glory and ornament of beauty, and the victory, the goal, splendor, or confidence, and majesty, grandeur. For all that is in the heaven and in the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom. That word means dominion, estate, rule, or realm. O Lord, Thou art exalted, supreme exaltation above all. So David's putting God in His rightful place. You know when Jesus teaches us to pray in Matthew, and He gives what we call the Lord's Prayer, He says, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. And at the end of that prayer, He says, Thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. Sounds an awful lot to David's praise here. But he says, God, everything is yours and belongs to you. There's nothing that consists, nothing that exists outside of your creation and your hand, and nothing exists that does not already belong unto your hand. Just a few verses now. In Deuteronomy chapter number 8, 
Moses is talking to the children of Israel. But thou shalt remember the Lord thy God. For it is he that giveth to thee power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant which he sware unto thy fathers. In 1 Samuel, now here's Hannah. Hannah who didn't have a child, who was afflicted by uh, the other wife. And she's tormented and she's sorry and she prays to God and God blesses her with a child and she's praising the Lord. Verse number 7, The Lord maketh poor and maketh rich. He bringeth low and lifteth up. He raiseth up the poor out of the dust and lifteth up the beggar from the dunghill to set them among the princes and to make them inherit the throne of glory. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and he hath set the world upon them. So the Lord, as, as Moses would say, as Hannah would say, as, as David says here, the world and the earth and everything that consists belongs to God. None of it's uh, gotten by man in the sense of it was his ability and his power that, that made it or brought it into possession. But that God says, it's mine. I've created it, and I've placed it on the earth. Both riches and honor come of thee, and thou reignest over all. Is there anything that God is not actively and currently in control of? Now think about that for a minute. Is there anything that is outside of God's active control at this hour? Is there anything that God is out of his wits about? That God says, I just don't know what to do about this. How can I rein this back in? No, God is God. He is the supreme authority. Riches and honor come of him. All of these things are provided not by man's doings or man's gettings, but all of them are provided and from God. And in thine hand is power and might, and in thine hand it is to make great and to give strength unto all. So who determines then who is great and who's small? Who determines who's rich and who's poor? Who determines who the king is and who the beggar on the street is? Now think about that. Who determines that? Who determines who is in the family and who's not in the family? Now man man wants to put credit to him in some regard in every aspect of life. And man wants to say that, that I've done this, that I've earned this, that I've gotten this by my works and by my deeds. But you know Job, Job's going to be brought, brought absolutely to nothing. And Job says after he loses all of his wealth and all of his children, he says, The Lord giveth and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. How did Job get rich? It wasn't by his works. The Lord gave. Now in that word give, that's a gift. That's not a, a payment of wages. If I give you something, it's not payment. If I pay you wages... That's what you've earned. But if I give you something as a gift, 
It's not been earned. And Job says, God give to me as he saw fit, and God's taken from me as he saw fit. Blessed be his name in either case. So now here's David. David's at the top of the mountain, if you'll have it. He's the king of Israel. God's defeated every nation under his feet. God's given him a great amount of wealth and riches and good. And David's given this to the building of the temple of the Lord. And instead of David standing and saying, look at the the conquering that I've done in my life. Look at all the gold and silver that I've built up. And look at what I've done to give unto God. David's not reserving any of that glory unto himself. But he says, look, I've became king and I've got all this wealth because you saw fit to give it. Hannah recognized that in her prayer of glory. Moses recognized that. And in Romans, New Testament, Romans 11, 35 and 36, Or who hath first given to him and it shall be recompensed to him again. For of him, and through him, and to him, are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. What words of wisdom. So there's a question. Who has first given God something that he didn't have in the first place? And who is it that God owes to give something back in return? That's that's what man is saying when I say I'm going to do this and God's going to give this. I'm going to give God something that he doesn't have and that he needs and because I do that, then God's going to give to me something that, that I don't have and that I need. It's going to be a recompense. But God has need of nothing. If everything is already God's, if everything belongs to him, then what can I give to him that's not already his? That sounds so elementary, but that goes over the heads of a pile of folks today. Man thinks that with his hands, he's somehow helping God, and because I've helped God, now God owes it to me to help me. But I read about Job. Job was a man that God said, God said to the devil, this man fears me and he eschews evil. This is a man that's upright and he's a good man and he serves me and does what I tell him. Did that earn Job some special credit and he get all these blessings in return for that? Job's going to suffer like none of us here have ever suffered before. Why? Because he sinned. That's what his friend said. He sinned greatly, and that's why he's enduring what he's going through. But the truth is he's going to suffer because he serves God, and God's going to prove that Job is his servant through his suffering. Is that not true? So what's God owe anybody? What can I do that God's going to owe me anything? So there's nothing I can do that God owes me anything. So then, if God has given to me, boy, I, I would that this could be recognized in the heart and in the mind 
of everybody in the house of God. That if God has given to me anything, it was unwarranted, unmerited, undeserved, and it's not because of anything that I've done, but it was His plain and simple goodness that has provided it unto me. So riches and honor come of Him. Victory, greatness, power, glory, majesty. I would imagine, you know, I was reading earlier in this book that David sent some messengers down to a a neighboring country that he might uh, comfort the, the man, the king, whose father had died and they they cut their garments off and they shaved their beards and sent them back shamefully. And they brought the army out against David. And the Bible says, And David sent Joab and all the host of mighty men. Now you think about what an army that David could set forth. You can read about a number of the, the mightiest of the mighty men that David calls his army together And here's Joab, the captain of the host, and all of these mighty men going to war and going to battle for David. What majesty and glory and honor that David the king had. He had glory. He had a name and a reputation in the world as being a mighty man of war, as being one that wrought great victories. And when David set the battle in order, they sent down and tried to hire the Syrians to come in. They knew that they couldn't defeat David on their own because of the reputation that he had earned for being a mighty man. But where did that come from? David knows where it came from. And in thine hand it is to make great and to give strength unto all. Now, verse 14. But who am I? And what is my people that we should be able to offer so willingly after this sort? Now, he's going to say in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 18, Then went King David in and sat before the Lord, and he said, Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house? that thou hast brought me hither to. Where did God call David from? David was the youngest brother in the house. He was the least of his brethren. And his house was, they weren't rich. They weren't mighty. They weren't noble. They weren't princes. They were shepherds. And David was the little boy that he sent out to watch the sheep. So what was David? Was he anything that would draw the eye or the mind to? It was the opposite of that. As Samuel came and looked upon his brothers, he looked at the oldest, I believe Eliab was his name, and he said, surely this is the man. And God said to Samuel, I'm not looking on the outward appearance. I'm looking upon the heart. And he picked the least likely one of all the brothers, of all the sons of Jesse to be the king. David said, you plucked me. You brought me out from among the sheepfold. You brought me from a poor man's house. And you've set me as the king of all Israel. And as David goes to war... And he goes to battle. As David's first battle that we see, he steps out against the giant Goliath. And who won that battle? Was it not the Lord? The Lord smote the giant using David's hand. 
And as you think about that account now, here's a little boy, maybe 17 years old, 18 years old, skinny and ruddy. And he's going out against not just a man, but a champion, a mighty man of war, and not just a regular mighty man of war, but one that's nearly 10 feet tall and that shield weighs as much as a man does. And here's this little boy that's never been in a battle before and he's going to go out against a champion that's the size of three or four men? How in the world could that be? I'll tell you what God's going to do. God's going to work a work that it's going to be known that it's only by His strength that the victory's going to be won. And so David recognizes that everything that he's got and everything that he is, he can look back to where God called him from and recognize that none of it is by his power. And that if God hadn't come to him when he was in the sheepfold, he'd probably still be a little shepherd and his family would still be nothing. His name would never be known. My God, God came to a man and look what God did for that man. And what a shame it would be for David to stand before the people and give glory to what he's done. Would you agree with that? That'd be a shame. Well, you know, we're ever one the same way. I mean, if, if we've got anything, and we can even talk naturally if you want to, anything naturally that we've got, the Lord has allowed us to have. One of my favorite scriptures in Jeremiah, Jeremiah's telling them that Nebuchadnezzar's coming and he's going to destroy the place if they don't submit to him. But this is how God says it now. This is Jeremiah 27 verse 5. I have made the earth, the man, and the beast that are upon the ground by my great power and by my outstretched arm and have given it to whom it seemed meet unto me. Why, wow, preacher, it's the, it's the mighty man, it's the strongest that gets control. No, it's, it's who God puts in control. You know, I, I think you can look even nearer in the past and see an example of that. You know, there were 13 colonies that were just a, a settlements is what they started as. And they came from a a portion of the most powerful country on the face of the earth at that time that had colonies all over the known world. They had the greatest navy that there was. They had the greatest army that there was in that day. Britain was the greatest nation on the face of the earth. And you know these colonies got together and they whooped the greatest nation that there was on the face of the earth. How could that be? God gives it to whom he sees fit and according to his will and according to his power he works in thine hand it is to make great and to give strength unto all now therefore our God we thank thee and praise thy glorious name who's the glory due to is there any credit for Israel itself is there any credit for David look back to Israel where did God bring Israel from? Well, Jacob. Jacob was a mama's boy and he was a cheat 
and a thief and a robber. He was underhanded and a crook. And you know, God came to him in the wilderness there and God changed him and God changed his name and God brought him down into Egypt and, and there they were. They were servants to Pharaoh. They'd have never got away from Pharaoh. But you know, God, God brought them out from Pharaoh and God destroyed Egypt and the Egyptians in the process. And God gave them a nation. And God gave them a name. And God gave them a reputation. Not because they were mighty warriors, but because the world knew what God had done for them. And when they come to Jericho, Rahab the heart had said, the people's hearts have melted for fear because they know what God did to Pharaoh because of you. See, it was God's glory that followed them. What about the church today? I mean, what, what about individually? Where were we at when God called to us? Man wants today to tell how good that he is, how great that he's been in service to God. And we would like to claim that, well, God owes this to me. When in truth, David said, I was in the hole of the pit. Now that was in Isaiah. David said, I was in the miry clay. There we were, and you know where we were? We were in the clutches of sin, in the filth and wretchedness of ungodliness. We were happy to be there. We enjoyed being there. We were there because that's where we wanted to be. We thought we were doing good. We thought we were pure. We thought we were acceptable. And we were just content to be there as David was to be out there minding the sheep. But you know what's going to come? There's coming a call of God Almighty to our lives just as it did to David. You know, David was out in the field doing what he had always done. And the Word of God came. The prophet's come and he'd like to see you. Now at this point, we knew it was David because he was the last one. There were no brothers left. So when Samuel looked over the seventh brother and it wasn't him, well, it's got to be David. And Jesse says, why, I didn't even call him in. I didn't think there was any way it would be David. I mean, he's the littlest one. He's a little and he's out in the field. But you know, the Word of God called for David. And the Word of God called for us. When we were in sin and in rebellion to God, God's call came to us and brought us out of that state of ungodliness and rebellion. And He gave us a place that we could stand on His grace and His Son. Not of our works, not of our power or our ability, but by His power and by His ability. And David says, I'm here. I'm here today offering to you this glorious offering. And who am I that I could do this? Now there's a, there's a sober mind. Man thinks today, well, I'm here because and this is the reason why God brought me here. But the truth is, who, who could God have called to have been David? Did He have to have David, the son of Jesse? Could He not have done this with any one of those brothers? Could He not have done this with anybody else in the nation of Israel? But God chose to come to David. 
And God has chose to come to us and to call to us and to bring us out of sin. And therefore, you know what we ought to do? Thank and praise the name of God. If we could recognize that none of it's of my deservedness and it's all by the goodness and mercy of God, we could have some glory and praise to offer the one that brought us out of the sheepfold. But who am I and what is my people that we should be able, that we would even have the ability to offer this to you? Because the Ammonites and the Moabites and the Jebusites and the Philistines and the Egyptians and all the other nations of the earth, they did not have the opportunity to offer to God like David and Israel did, did they? You know, the, there's only one nation on the face of the earth that's able to offer anything to God in the Spirit. And that's the nation that He saved by His grace, plucked them out from among the world and made them a part of His kingdom. It was His power that did that. It was His grace that brought that to pass. And who are we? What did we do that God should call unto us. Did we earn that call? David didn't. For of all things, for all things come of thee. From, from or out of. All things come out of God, and of thine own have we given thee. So you think about what David says here. Everything comes from you and we're only giving to you as you've given to us. David believes in a God that's in complete and absolute sovereign control over everything on the face of the earth. Do you see that? David does not believe that anything that they have to offer God they earned or got themselves. David says, everything we've got, it came from you. And the only thing we've given you is what come out of your hand to begin with. You know, that's, that's what the thought of tithes are. In the Old Testament, we see that beginning. They gave tithes down at the temple. And what they did is as they gathered in their crop, they took 10% of what they grew. They gave that to the temple. You know why that was? They were saying, God, it was you that blessed this field. It was you that sent the rains. It was you that allowed it to yield and bring forth fruit. And as thanks for what you've given us, we're going to give you the 10%. We're going to give you the first fruits. We're going to give you a sacrifice as glory for what you've given us because you could have, you could have brought a drought and nothing brought forth. You could have sent the locusts and they devoured everything in the field. You could have brought judgment upon us and brought in another nation and we'd be in captivity and be unable to grow anything. But God, because you've given us, we're going to give to you. There was never a thought of, look God, I'm giving you something great by my strength. It was God, we're giving you this as a portion of what you've given us. And so as a tithe today, we give a portion of what we earn, 
Because we recognize that if God didn't allow us to labor, if God didn't give us the strength and the opportunity to labor, we wouldn't have anything to begin with. And how quickly, how quickly God can bring a laboring man to somebody that's dependent on somebody else. Ain't that the truth? And so it's of God that we've got anything. It's the truth. It is of God that we have anything. God is given. God's allowed. God's directed. God's been in control. God's guided lives according to His will, even at times when we didn't recognize or know it. You know, there was a Naomi and an Elimelech that left the house of bread and went down to Moab one day. And you know, there was a little girl down there named Ruth, and she didn't have any idea about God. She didn't know about salvation. She didn't know about Bethlehem. She had no idea about Boaz. But you know, God's going to bring her and one of them sons together and they're going to marry. God's going to kill them sons off. God's going to put it in her heart to go back with Naomi even when the sister-in-law turns and goes back to Moab. God's going to bring her up there and God's going to guide her the very first day into the field of Boaz and God's going to guide Boaz's eyes right over her. And it's going to go farther than that. Boaz is going to see her and he's going to say, Who is that? And he's going to love her the moment that he lays eyes on her. You know what that is? That's God in control even when Ruth don't know what's going on. God was going to bring her out and He's going to put her in the first chapter of Matthew as the great-grandmother, I believe, of this man, David. God's going to put her in the lineage of the family and God is working even when she's unaware of it. You know who Boaz's mama was? Rahab the harlot. Rahab was Boaz's mama. And so God's bringing all things together to the glory of His name. See, Ruth's got nothing to glory in. She come to Bethlehem with absolutely nothing. Do you see that? She had nothing and she was doing like the beggars done in that day and she had go out and glean what was left over in the field. That's where we were. We had nothing in the kingdom of God. But you know, God took notice of us and God said, I'm going to bring that one in to my family and I'm going to make them rich in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not because we brought anything to Him but God give it all to us. And here we sit tonight, able to say that we're in the family of God, and we can only say that because God showed us mercy when we were in the clutches of sin. So David says, For all things come of thee, and of thine own have we given. David takes Notice, absolutely zero credit for what's going on right here. You couldn't fill this building up five times with the gold that they offered. Now you think about what a treasure that they offered. And David has no credit to his name for it. David's unwilling 
to take any of the glory for that. But he says, look, I'd have nothing if it wasn't for you, God. All of those victories that I won as I was the king of Israel, I'd have never won any of them if you hadn't allowed me to win. If you hadn't called me, I'd have never been the king. I'd have never amounted to anything. You've provided and you've given as you saw fit. And all I'm able to do is give back to you what you've provided to me. And that's all that we're able to do. If there's anything that we can give to God, the only reason we can give it is because God has provided it to us to give it. We had nothing. We brought nothing. That's what Job said. Naked came I out. And naked I'm going to return. The Lord gave and the Lord took. Blessed be His name. And so David is blessing the name of the Lord. For we are strangers before Thee and sojourners. Now this is what David is going to testify about him and the children of Israel. We're strangers and sojourners. We are we're resident foreigners. And we're just people that's passing through for a short time. He says our days on the earth are as a shadow and there's none abiding. That word abiding, it means to have confidence. Anybody here absolutely confident you'll get up in the morning. What about that? We don't even have confidence that we're going to make it home this evening. And if we make it home, it's because God has allowed us to make it home. And if we get up in the morning, it's because God allows us to get up in the morning. Ain't that the truth? That's the truth. And so David says, look what we are. We're absolutely nothing. We're just sojourners. We're only here for a day or two and we're gone, never to be seen again. And there's nobody that's got any confidence in themselves and yet you have been mindful of where we are and who we are and provided for us. That's the truth. There's none abiding. O Lord our God, all this store that we have prepared to build thee in house for thy holy name cometh of thine hand and is all thine own. You know, I'm trying to remember his name. Esther's uncle, Mordecai. Mordecai told her, she said, I I can't go in before the king whenever I want to. I've not been called. He's not sought me out. And Mordecai said, Esther, if you don't do this, and I'm I'm not going to quote it at all, but it'll be close. If you don't do this, know that God's going to bring deliverance from somewhere. But this may be the reason that you've come into the kingdom. God may have brought you to this place and to this point for this purpose right here. And so Esther, who was chosen now, all of the virgins in the kingdom come, and she was chosen. She could have held her head high and said, I was the prettiest, and I was the most attractive and I was the best of the best, and I'm here as the queen because of what and who I am. 
That's, that's easy for man to think. That's man's nature to think that way of himself. Man thinks, well, God saved me because I'm the best of the best. God saved me because he knew what I would do. God saved me because he knew how I could honor him. God saved me because of how good that I was beforehand. But you know what Esther had? She had somebody with some sense that says, listen, Esther, God brought you here, and this may be the very reason that God's brought you to this place. It's not because you were the best. God allowed you to be here by His grace and by His power that you might accomplish His will at this hour. And so God's brought us to this day and to this hour by His will, by His desire, not because of anything we are, but because He had grace and compassion upon us. Here we are in the kingdom for this day and for this hour. Well, what I've got, I'm going to keep for myself. Man thinks that in a lot of ways. Don't he? We're going to keep what's ours. It belongs to me. I've earned it. I've got it. The, the pot, and the, the money pot, that, that's last on the list. If the heart is right, that'll be right as well. But boy, I tell you, man, man thinks so highly of himself that I, I'm just not going to give any time to God. I'm not going to give. I'll I, I tell you what it takes. I'm going to have to be brought down to the very bottom. And then I'll give some time to God until I come up out of that place. And then I'll forget about him all over again. And there's no recognition that when things are well and good, it's because of God as well. And so when should God get glory? At all times, at every hour, and at every season, our hearts ought to be grateful unto God for what He's allowed us to have. We could get carnal and we could even look at natural things. What could God take from us? Why, God can't take nothing from me. I've done good enough to earn all of this. Oh, I tell you, we... We exist by the mercy and compassion of God. So he says, All that we've prepared cometh of thine hand and is all thine own. So David said, God gave. Remember earlier in this chapter, I said that consecrate the service was to open a full hand. That's what this word means right here. God opened His full hand unto us. You know what that included? I mean, we could talk worldly things, but I tell you the fullness of the goodness and grace of God was the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, who worked that that could be brought forth? Wayne said tonight that he was produced from a virgin birth. Man didn't even have part in him coming into the world. Man did no work in that. He was born from a virgin. God planted that seed. God brought him into the world. God protected him and kept him when he was a child. God brought him up and God sent him to the cross and there he went willingly to die for us that we could be delivered from the bondage of sin. And today God shares the inheritance that Jesus worked out with you and I. We're inheriting what God wrought. I'm not inheriting what I've wrought. 
And God forbid that anybody ever think that. God forbid that the church think, well, we need to come together and do good enough that God could save. I tell you, that's, that's foolish thinking. No, we ought to come together and we ought to worship God because of what He's already done. Because of where we are today. And I tell you, God will do as He sees fit and according to His will and according to His plan. But if God does save, if God does deliver, and if God does do a mighty work, you write this down in your book, Joseph Huntsinger nor anybody else will be able to stand up and say, God saved them because of what i done. God saved them because of my prayer. You ever heard that? Where's the glory going in that? Boy, man wants to be the Savior, don't he? David said it's of your hand. And if I'm able to give, if I'm able to stand up here and preach the gospel... It's only because he gave to me with an open hand. Because if if David can look back and say, what am I and what's my house? What's my family? That I should be here as the king. Could I not look back at my life as well and say, what was I and what would I be if God's hand never came by my way? I was in a terrible place. I was living in terrible sins. Wicked sins. I was contented with being there and I didn't want to change. And I'm convinced. I know for a certainty that if God didn't pass by me, that's where I'd still be. I'd be worse than I was when He saved me. I'd be waiting. There ain't no telling. It's scary to think where man would be had God not intervened in my situation. How far would I be from preaching the Word of God? How far would I be from even caring enough to open the book? So you know why we have what we have? Because God's provided to us. There's no glory to me. It's not because of me that God uses me. It's not because of what I've done that that God uses me. It's not because David was mightier than everybody else or he was smarter than everybody else or that he was a greater leader than everybody else. David was the least in the house of Israel and God made him the king to his glory. And David rightly gives the glory in the right place. No credit to himself. I know also, my God, that thou triest the heart and hast pleasure in uprightness. As for me, in the uprightness of mine heart, I have willingly offered all these things. And now have I seen with joy thy people, which are present here, to offer willingly unto thee. What a, what a testimony that David's got here that from a pure and an unfeigned heart, he and the people could offer unto God. Now, how in the world was that possible? What made that possible? Now, God's trying the heart, and He's trying the reins, and He knows, you know, God said in one place that that they that slew an ox, it was as if they slew a man. You know why that was? Because their heart and their mind it was filthy with sin 
They were corrupt inwardly and outwardly, but God here has given David an upright heart. And God gives His church an upright and a sober heart, not through their works, but through the cleansing of God. Here was a man that just a few years back from this day committed terrible, terrible sin. Would you agree? I mean, the wickedest of the wicked to the place that he had a man that was loyal and faithful to him murdered to cover up and hide his sin. And here David can say, it's not because of David's works. It's not at all because of David's works. My God, if it was because of David's works, he should have been stoned then. Agreed? He should have been stoned for his sin that he committed there. But God cleansed him and restored him the joy. And God allowed him to have a clean heart here. To offer willingly. What a blessing, David says. A blessing of God that we're able to offer anything to you. Not God, you're, you're blessed because of what we can give you. You're blessed to have us in your kingdom. You know, they said that at work one time. Somebody asked a question and they said, well, you're just blessed to have a job. And he said back, well, you're blessed to have somebody that works. And so you could, you could bud heads there all day long. David does not say, God, you're, you're blessed to have an employee like me working for you. God, you're, you're so blessed to have a man of my magnitude and of my stature and of my strength running your kingdom as I am. No, David, David knows that he's nothing outside of God. David knows that he is what he is because of Almighty God. Who would you say the greatest apostle was out of the twelve? Who was the greatest apostle? Paul? Would you say Paul? So Paul says this, the Word of God through the Holy Spirit testifies that Paul outlabored all of the apostles. But in, I believe it's 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse number 9. For I am the least of the apostles that am not meet to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace that was bestowed upon me was not bestowed in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Paul done more work than any of the others. That's, I believe that's evidenced by what we've got right here. Thirteen books of the New Testament. Paul wrote with his own hand. The Holy Ghost used him mightily to spread the gospel through the world. And if you're a Gentile today that's truly converted in the kingdom, the greatest likelihood is you could trace your lineage back to Paul the Apostle. And yet, when Paul says, Paul says, boy, God saved a good one when He got me because look at what I've accomplished 
since he saved me. Paul does not say that. He says, I'm the least of all, and yea, I'm not even worthy to be here. I was a wicked sinner. I was a sinful man. I persecuted the church, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And that's the testimony that every man's got. It's by the grace of God we are what we are. If it wasn't for grace, there's no telling where our lives would be at this hour. Even the lost man could say that. So, he says, I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I. So to them that would say, well, Paul's taking a little credit. I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was in me. Who done this work through Paul? God did this work through Paul. Who made Paul what he was? Was Paul this great apostle before? Was he a great believer? Did he trust Jesus before? Did he attend church? No, he was, he was the absolute opposite. He was the enemy of the church, probably public enemy number one. And when the church gathered together, and they had to gather in houses a lot of times and try to hide from the persecution and the hatred as they gathered together, they said, have you heard about that man, Paul the Apostle? He's out to get us. We'd better watch for that Saul of Tarshish because he's coming to cast us in prison. He's our enemy. But boy, God turned his life around. And David the shepherd, God turned his life around and David recognized why he was where he was. It'd be good for us to recognize why we are where we are. It's not because we're good. God help that that thought ever enter into a mind. O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel our fathers, keep this forever in the imagination of the thoughts of the heart of thy people, and prepare their heart unto thee. Now if you're not careful, you'll read that wrong. And you'll think David's saying, God, write this down and and you remember this forever. That's not what he says. He says, write this, keep this forever in the imagination of the thoughts of the heart of the people. Lord, let the people always recognize why they're at where they are. Let them always recognize that it's from your hand that we receive goodness and mercy and compassion. Let us always realize and recognize that it's you that gives and it's not of ourselves. God told Jehoshaphat, one of the prettiest scriptures of the Old Testament. Jehoshaphat's going to battle and he puts the singers and the instrument players in the front, in front of the army, going to battle. He says, Jehoshaphat, I'm going to make it known that it's not by power nor by might, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. It's not because you're the greatest. It's going to be my power That delivers you. And God took Gideon, and Gideon had a pretty good-sized army to begin with, and God whittled them down to 300, a number that stood no chance. Why? 
so that when the victory was won, man would take no credit for himself. I am the Lord. There's none beside me. I will not give my glory to another. So God help that we take the glory of God for ourselves, but keep this forever in the imagination of the thought of our hearts. Let us always recognize that it's God that deserves the thanks, the credit, the glory, and the honor for all things. And if I'm blessed to be able to worship God in the Spirit, if I'm blessed to be able to to tell somebody about the Lord Jesus, if I'm blessed to be able to teach the Word of God or, or preach the Gospel, let us not think it's because of what we are, but let us thank God that He's given us the opportunity to do that. For what am I? What is my people? That we should be able, of all the people on the earth, that we should be able to glorify